this week I was thinking as it was closing up camp week at Big Lake, I was actually thinking of kind of a funny story that happened to me this summer. And I look over to where Joan normally sits and Joan and Scott aren't here today. But I, I have to say first before I tell, tell you the story, I have to give Joan credit because she's my girl for everything. I have a stain that I can't get out, I call Joan. I have a problem with I don't know how to cook something, I call Joan. This girl, if I would say it, I, but I feel like maybe I shouldn't, but she's my idol for so many things around the house, but I don't mean it wrong in a wrong way. She just knows stuff and I'm like always in ama amazement at her. So this one day we were at camp this summer and as many of you know, I'm in a bit of a healthy eating kick. And so I had some asparagus, but that stuff is very dear. It is not cheap. And I was like, Joan, look at my asparagus. It's all so limp and you know, I just bought it. And she said, oh, that's okay, Joan. All you gotta do is stick that in a glass of water and it's just dehydrated. It's kind of freshen right up. So Joan, knowing all things, I of course took her advice, put the asparagus in water and left the camp. And many days later, as it soaked in the sunlight in front of the window in that nice glass of water, um, it did its thing and it got fully hydrated. And uh, uh, days later, I came back to the trailer and I'm like, what is that smell? I smell something kind of funky, but it was almost like it was camouflaged into the, the wall of the cupboard there and I, and I couldn't recognize it at first. And so then I said, oh, I wonder if this is it when I spotted it. And I don't smell, maybe that's not so. I pulled the asparagus out of the glass of water and unlocked all kinds of funkiness, things that were never meant to be smelled on this earth. And immediately, I just ran outside the camper door. And I have a good stomach. Marty does, he does that a lot. Oh, that sound, and I'm like, oh, I have a good stomach. But that was all I could take. That was so vile. I went out and I couldn't even go back in. It smelled so bad. The, the glass had to go in the garbage. I couldn't, there was no saving it. It was vile. But we're going to talk about a scripture today where Jesus actually said something was so vile it made him want to vomit. Do you know what I'm talking about today? Who knows where we're going? We're going to Revelations. So if you want to turn with your Bibles, we're going to jump in to see how Jesus experienced what I experienced. And if you're taking notes, the, the note was, don't try to save the asparagus. That's the first note. That's the main point, that life lesson that you need to know, that I learned. We're gonna look, first of all, to Revelation 1, chapter 1, verse 1, right at the very beginning. I found something a little interesting in the first three verses here, and uh, before we get into the scripture, um, that we're gonna kind of plant ourselves in today, I want to read these first three verses because there's something for you in these. It says, verse one, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And look at verse three. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I'll take that. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what it, take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. 
So I want you to know, as we go to dig into the word, what I realized is there is an extra special uh, component to this because we have the promise in God's word that when we read this word aloud and when we hear it and heed it, his word gives us a promise that we will be blessed in doing that. So are you feeling that you're open and ready to be blessed today? Okay, that sounds good. Let's turn to chapter three, but I'm just gonna open first in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this Sunday that you have brought each one here. And Lord, I believe with all my heart, not one of us are here by accident, but that you have prepared a message and some little nugget, some little seed inside this is for each one of us. Lord, I thank you for the promise that we are claiming this morning that in reading this word, this revelation of Jesus Christ, that we would be blessed, that we would be blessed in hearing it and taking heed to what it says. So Father God, I just invite you into this place. I just ask, Lord, that you would come in power and by your spirit that you would open hearts and remove the veil that keeps us from being closer to you. Father, I pray that things that are, that are in our lives that you would not have for us, God, that they would be exposed today and that you, by the power of your spirit, would give us power to overcome and see victory even here today. Bless your people, God. I ask that you would have your way. Father, we desire, we desire to meet you in this place. And Father, myself, I offer you this time as an act of worship. Lord, I submit myself to you and ask, Father, that all that is spoken through my lips would be from you, that that would be spoken in your authority and your power and that you would be glorified. Your will would be accomplished in the hearts of your people and you would receive all the glory. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So our scripture for today that we are going to jump into is from Revelation chapter 3, verse four, starting at verse 14. So we are gonna read the letter to the church in Laodicea. And I know many of you are familiar, but just to kind of get us all on the same page, um, this was a revelation of Jesus, as we read, to seven churches. And these were real churches that existed in the time. They would be in modern day Greece, Turkey, Turkey, Greece, one of them. They're somewhere over there today. I read it and forget it. Um, Anyway, those are, they were real churches at the time. They were spread out across about 50 miles. And during the time uh, that John received this revelation, they addressed these churches. Now today, these letters in the revelation are looked at a couple of different ways. Some people really feel that they are examples of the church and how it has declined over the ages. And this church we're reading about today in Laodicea, it is the last of the letters. And some believe it shows the decline of the church while others see these letters as maybe seven characteristics of churches over time, different congregations here and there over the course of history. And we're not gonna focus on which one of those is the right standpoint on what these letters mean, but I want you today to come with me for a moment into Laodicea. We're gonna try to look at that church at that time and understand what was the letter really saying, and maybe in that, God will open our eyes for how that could speak to us here today. So the church in Laodicea, um, as we read this letter, there's a few things I wanna tell you. So as we read it, they may, take a little bit more context or help us to understand. 
First of all, this was a wealthy center. So they had so much gold in this place. So picture of Oxford, we're gonna kind of compare Oxford to Laodicea. We're kind of a nice little hub between Moncton and Halifax. But picture this to be our church, but it, we were so rich. We had so much gold that there was a disaster, actually a natural disaster, maybe like a sinkhole, but it was an earthquake. And they had so much gold that they just had all the money to fix it themselves. So banking and commerce, that's what they were. They were a banking center. Another thing they were known for is they had a special, I guess, flock of sheep. They were black sheep. And this was a big deal for them because they spun beautiful black wool from them. And because of that, textile was huge in Laodicea. So they were known for their textiles, they were known for their gold and their riches, and they were also known for a medical school that they had. So in Laodicea, there was a medical school that came up with this powder, and this powder could be mixed with olive oil and put like a paste on their eyes, and it would cure oriental eye disease. That was a big deal in their time. So if we were them and we were sitting in the church about to hear this letter, we would know these things. We would know that we're, we have gold. We are very wealthy and rich. We would understand we do textiles. We understand that we do medicine and I save, and that's important to us. And so it, the other thing that we need to know about them is the water. So you may have heard this before, but the church in Laodicea, while they had so many great things, they didn't have water. Their source of water was from neighboring areas. There was a couple of cities. One, one was about uh, 50 miles in one direction. No, it was, I, I forget. Anyway, on each side of them, they had water. And one side, the water was hot. And there was hot springs. And it was amazing to go to this place in this time because you'd get the hot springs. You could get nice, pure water for a hot cup of tea right from the source. And on the other side, they didn't have hot water, but they had cold, refreshing water. That was in Colosh, where the church in Colossians was. So that actually water was supplied to Laodicea through a big aqueduct. And people have found this, and archaeologists have dug it up and figured it all out. And they realize that in this letter, in this context, they didn't have water. So picturing that and understanding that they knew what it was like to have all these great things, but also not to have clean water, they would get their water. And by the time, can you picture it? Coming all those miles through a pipe, it got dirty and polluted and contaminated. And of course, the hot water got cold and the cold water got hotter and they became lukewarm. And the water in Laodicea was actually emetic, which means if you went to drink it, it would cause you to vomit. So in the context of them knowing that about their water and knowing that about their situation, let's see what the letter says to the church in Laodicea. So I'm reading from Revelation 3. We're going to start at verse 14. It says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. They are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. 
but you don't realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you, this is Jesus, I counsel you to buy gold from me, refined in the fire so that you can become rich. Buy from me white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes so you can see. Those who I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, and that's all of us, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So now, does that scripture give you a little bit more context than maybe before thinking about what they would know getting that? So basically, what we need to see in this is Jesus just said to them, I see, pretend we're them for a minute. Hey, Laodicean church, I see how you act. It's so, kind of like the water. It's so gross to me, it makes me want to throw up. So he didn't say the people he didn't love the people. It's not a message really about salvation to say that if you don't behave, you know, you make me sick. It's actually that the way that their deeds were was to God something that would almost be so repulsive. And so I thought about that for a little bit this week and the last couple of weeks, and I thought, well, what would that look like? What would that look like today or how would we describe that or relate to that or understand that today? And I truly believe that this message is a message of spiritual apathy in the church. And it's kind of like, how many of you know what the word meh means? M-E-H. I was going to show you some funny pictures, but I thought I better stay serious. Um, look it up on, on your phone. Google the word meh and look at images. It's pretty funny. Um, do you know the word? Who knows what I'm talking about? I know Miranda and Josh do. I know they do. I know the young people do. Brady, Lexi, Andrew. Meh, it's a word that they use today, and it just means I'm indifferent. I don't care. How is the service today? Meh. Ha, ha, I asked Brad. Brad asked me, Jody, do you want me to put the pictures up or not? Meh, I'm indifferent. I don't know doesn't matter. It's, it's basically lacking emotion, lacking feeling. If you picture what somebody looks like going, whatever, I don't care. That's, that's, that's meh. Okay. So it's basically apathy. So we want to look at what apathy means a little bit, um, just so that we, we're going to actually take a minute to look at what it is and then what causes it, because that's the problem, I believe, in the church in Revelations, in, in uh, Laodicea that we're looking at. So apathy, it actually comes from a couple of Greek words, meaning without feeling and emotion. So picture, suppression of emotion, lethargy, disinterest, lack of caring. Basically picture vibrance, it's the opposite. Picture power and, and enthusiasm, it's not that, it's the opposite. Apathy is just meh indifferent, not interested, you are not lighting my fire up. Okay, that's apathy. So I, Sonia and I laugh because we like to always th see things in pictures. So as I thought of apathy, and of course I pictured all the funny memes of 
of meh, but um, I also picture like a tree. So picture yourself like a tree. There's a tree that could be planted by the water and the scene could be beautiful foliage and green and colors and fruit bearing tree, right? Okay, so that's, that's a very vibrant tree. Would you agree? Picture yourself maybe to be the tree like this one over here that the leaves have fallen off, it's happening now. The scene is nothing but gray, bark, no leaves, maybe white snow. Yes, it can be pretty. And yes, the tree's alive, isn't it? The tree is actually alive because of what? Because of the roots. But it looks, what? It, it looks, meh, <laughs> dead. It doesn't look like a whole lot. That's apathy to me. It's, it's when it sets in our life. And I'm gonna tell you, there could be some of us here today um, the reality is when it comes to our Christian walk, we feel we're kind of like that tree. We're feeling like the tree in the winter. There was a time maybe that we felt like we were fruitful and we were green and we were very beautiful and parked by a stream and everything was great. But really, how are you doing spiritually? Meh, I'm okay. It's all right. I'm not fired up. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not juiced for Jesus. I just made that up. Um, <laughs> that just came out, <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> um, that's, that's meh, right? That's apathy. That's what it looks like. And, and we can get there in our Christian lives. It's the truth. There have been times where I'm sure I felt like I was that tree just producing and all good, but there's been times where I felt like I was a bit like a tree in the winter. And that's kind of what I believe. That's what we're seeing if we were the church in Laodicea. We're like, we're in the winter. We're like, leaves are falling off, not a whole lot of, of vibrance and power, but we're still alive, right? The tree's still alive, even if it doesn't look it. Honestly, when you look at this scripture, they were still doing church. For one, he wrote to them as the church. For two, he said, I see your deeds. So they were doing something. It's not like there was nothing happening in this church. It's just, it was an apathetic kind of dead church far away from the source, like water that becomes gross. So let's ask ourselves, why? Why does this happen in the church? Why does it even happen in our lives? And I thought about that this week and I was doing some research and uh, a few things came to mind. I don't want to cough into this microphone. Um, the first reason actually that I think apathy sets in and there's going to be about three that we're going to look at I find it in a definition of apathy one of the definitions I read said apathy is a lack of purpose and worth so church if we start to not understand who we are in Christ if we start to feel like I'm worthless I don't mean anything to God. There's not a whole, I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough skills. I have too many struggles in my life. I've sinned in the past. If we start to feel like we are not who we are, if that lie begins to penetrate our lives and we start to lose our sense of worth and purpose, you ask some young people today that are trying to figure out their purpose in life, you know, I, I don't know. 
I don't know. And you ask a lot of people in church today, you know, do you know what God has for you? How do you feel? When that starts to be taken from us, maybe it's clouded over, maybe we're struggling in any area with worth and identity, that's when apathy starts to set in. We don't recognize our power and authority. We are children of the most high God, aren't we? We are sons and daughters of the king of kings, but many times we kind of sit defeated. And so when our understanding of who we are starts to be taken away, it's like layers over us that make us start to feel, I don't matter, there's no real place for me. I looked this week at a quote from Einstein, and it said, the world will not be destroyed by those who do evil, but those who watch it without doing anything. And I thought about this this week, and I, I hold myself accountable to this word. You know, I, I struggled this week with the, the big news in our country. It was a hard week for me, and I struggled with, do I post something on Facebook? Do I then appear judgmental? Would people who, who have medical reasons feel like I'm judging them? Oh, I don't want to, I'm not that, so I'm not going to do that. And, and, and I struggled with, like, who am I as an agent of change, as salt and light and love of Christ in the world? But here my world is hurting, and here my world is doing something that hurts me. And, like, I wasn't really sure. Where, where do I fit in that? Like, where's my place? so fearful of being judge, judgmental or, or seeming to lack love that I did nothing. And so I still wrestle with that. So apathy is what happens when we don't understand who we are in Christ. And then we just begin to kind of get like more like lukewarm and lukewarm and we begin to see things happen and just don't feel like I'm not going to get involved. I can't do anything. It's not, not my problem. I'm just going to sit here and do my thing. I think that's one thing that you would have seen in, in uh, Laodicea. And, and another, another one, um, another reason that I think we, we struggle with apathy is sin. There's a commercial. It's actually a commercial for drinking and driving. I don't know if you've seen it. And, and it shows like the screen kind of like through a, this glass. And they say like when one beer was gone, the the glass goes up and it's a bit foggy on the screen and then another one and it's foggier and foggier and foggier. In our lives, that's kind of like what happens with sin. If we do something, and I'm not talking about what that is, I'm saying if we do something between us and God that we know is not what he wants and he speaks to us and we say, it's kind of like it becomes a bit foggier and then a bit foggier. Do you know what I mean? Until his voice is way, way over there, super distant, and I'm over here. Sin leads us to apathy. Idolatry is, another, is an example of sin that leads us to this place of indifference. So what is idolatry? It's really anything or anyone that takes God's place in your life. If you look at your heart like a, a hole, like a pie, the more that you give of that pie to people, to things, anything but God that becomes really where your treasure and where your heart is, there's less and less and less room for God to the point where idolatry is a sin that takes us to that place of apathy. 
So I believe apathy can come from identity issues, not knowing who we are in Christ and from sin. But it can also come from things like disappointment, struggle, heartache. This world, sometimes we would agree, does not give us a good hand. It can be really hard. Things that are not fair happen in our lives. And that hurt and that brokenness, it hurts. And so what do we do with pain? We try to suppress it. But do you know what happens? When we suppress our feelings, we can't selectively suppress. If I begin to suppress all my emotions because I'm hurting so deeply, what am I also suppressing? My joy, happiness, all the good feelings. So when things happen in our lives that are hurtful and painful, those things can also be ways that apathy sets in because we start to provide insulation. So sin is like layers. Those disappointments are like insulation. But all those things, can you picture them? To be like from the source, there's power. When we are close to God, when we are in his word and in his presence and speaking to him and seeing and feeling him, there's power and there's fire and there's vibrance and life. But as these things come into our lives that we just talked about, we become more and more distant, like water through that long pipe. By the time we come to the place where apathy has fully set in, we can hear God speak and go. We can hear that we have meaning and we have purpose and go. We still do it. We still go through the motions. We can show up on Sunday. We can, we can do what we feel is right to do. But apathy has set in. So before everyone gets super discouraged, what is the answer? Because do you think God desires us to be there? Says, too bad, you got too far from the pipe your water's gonna be gross. That is not his heart. Let's go to the word. Verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me. And that's where I'm gonna stop. Do you know what I hear in those words? He had just told them, you think everything's good. He said to the church, because you have money, because your businesses are good, because things are going well, you're pretty smart, you must be healthy, you've cured your diseases, you think you're good, but you are not. You're in that place where you're not feeling, you are so far from me. I counsel you, buy from me. What's he saying there? I'm the source. I'm the hot, relaxing water. I'm the cold, refreshing fountain. I am the source of life. And we need to go closer and closer to him. He says another command, counsel you to buy from me. The next he says in verse 19, he says, be earnest and repent. So we go to the source in earnest and repent. Do you know what earnest means? Sometimes it's fun when you're writing things down to like look up words and they kind of become a little bit bigger. It's the, it means sincere, intense conviction. So he's saying, come to me. I'm the source. I'm the water right at the source, the good stuff. Come to me, buy from me. And then he says, be sincere with intense conviction. He's saying to the church that's blanketed in apathy, repent. 
I looked it up in the Amplified and listened to what the words it used. Be enthusiastic and in earnest, sincere, with intense conviction, burning with zeal, repent, change your attitude, change your mind. I was like, woo, that's good stuff. But you know what, I, know what I'm hearing in all of that command? A lot of feelings. That, is, that means we have to be open to a lot of emotion. If we are going to feel God speak to our hearts to bring us sincerely to repentance, we have to feel the sin. We have to feel our way through the grief and the disappointment and the pain. We have to feel our way through our identity and our worth and our purpose and trust that God is worthy. And what happens when we don't want to feel and we get apathetic? There are walls between us and God. And do you want to know how obvious that is? How true that is? Look at verse 20. Jesus, and I never seen this till this week, he's saying to the church, I stand at the door and knock. This is the church in Laodicea. They close the doors and he's standing on the other side. And he's saying, you, church, you're doing church. I'm not saying that you're not. I see your deeds. But you are so far from me, your source. I'm on the other side of the door. I am knocking. It's, his hands are pressed up to the door. I've read this for so many times and thought he's just saying, like, I'm not enough. Like, I'm lukewarm and I'm not good enough for him. This is not about our worth to him. He loves us. He's on the other side of the door saying, trust me. Let me come in and let me identify who you are. Let me build your worth. Trust me with your future and your purpose and the plans that I have for you. Be my person. I don't sin. I don't want that junk in your life. Trust me that whatever you need to work through that's sin in your life, that life in me is better than that. It's a trust thing. He's there on the other side of the door wanting the church, the church, his own people to let him in. Even feeling that makes my heart heavy. Even thinking that today in Oxford, if this message was to apply to us, if we are to get any victory and any blessing from the reading aloud, remember we read in, Re in Revelation 1? If we read this aloud and hear it and receive from it, we have to understand where do we apply in this story? We look around, look at the people that are sitting here. We are family. This is our house and this is, we're family. And we come here as family together to grow in faith that when we're feeling apathetic and we're feeling indifferent, that we can have somebody to help us, to be accountable to, to know that they care. And listen, I'm gonna be the first to tell you, the church has failed as a body. We are people, we make mistakes. People get hurt, I understand that. But he wants, he wants to be in, he wants to be our source, fueling us and empowering us. He is the answer. He is the cure for apathy in the church. It is Jesus. He's the cure for the apathy that is in your life when you don't know who you are. 
And my heart hurt this week as I thought about this and thought about how many times, and I want you just, this is just you and Jesus right now. This is you and the Holy Spirit. How many times have you come to church and heard a good word from God and went, meh, and walked out? That's like a wall between you and God. And he's on the other side of the door saying, Jody, come on, let me in. Don't tune me out. Don't go to that place of apathy. If I'm speaking to you, don't let that sin disconnect us. Don't let your heart be given to other things. I have a plan. I have a purpose for you. That's what I believe this message to the church in Laodicea is about. And I believe that if we take this to heart, if we look at each other and see, look at, we're a family. And together, I thought about why are we not the church in Acts? And do you know what I, do you know what came to my mind? The church in Acts was like the church right at the source, weren't they? They had just, the 12 disciples were 12 people, but they drank, I believe, straight from the source. There wasn't a big space for all the time, of course, of history and life and broken mess in the church to get all the junk in the pipes. Twelve disciples changed the world. I don't want a single person in this church for one second to believe that God loves us any less than those first 12 or that we are any less able to be filled with the power of the spirit, to live in victory over sin, to know our identity in Christ and be the church today here in Oxford. That's us together. But we are not gonna get to that place if we continue to not heed this warning. That means if we continue to say, great sermon, Pastor Mark, Pastor Brad, Paula, Jody, thank you for the great sermon. Great, I'm on my way. We have to get real. And we have to answer when the Holy Spirit speaks. And together, if we do that, the enemy's ability to bring apathy into this place and indifference, it is, it is totally dissolved. And God, in the power of his spirit, will do something and bring a revival like we pray for and believe can happen. But it's each and every one of us saying, I will not be apathetic and indifferent. I will walk in the power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word today. I thank you for the truth that you are speaking into our hearts and our lives. But I recognize in this moment that acknowledging this to be true is a whole lot easier than stepping forward and obeying it. God, our lives, are, we do struggle with worth, value, identity, purpose. We do sometimes struggle with sin. Father, there have been so many hurts and disappointments and letdowns that our hope is like deferred and sick. Our hearts are sick sometimes, Lord. So Father, I pray that even in this moment, that in a very personal and real way, with each person individually, that your spirit would speak truth into their lives and hearts. That we would hear and believe and receive the love of God 
that tells us that we are worthy, that we would trust him, that we can trust him to walk in purity and holiness. Father, that you would bring your church here in Oxford, this family, to a place of such total surrender in who you are, that you would cleanse us collectively in a supernatural, powerful way, and that we would be filled up with the power to love the world and make a difference in our world that needs us. You have called us to be salt and light. Father, equip us today. Help your church to respond, to answer, to say, I won't just turn away one more time from truth. I, me, I will take my responsibility to respond. Father, wherever each one is at, I pray that they would receive your love in this moment, that they would receive like a fire that says, I have something for you, and that you would give them the strength to walk in that. So, Father, in these last closing moments, we, Father, we ask you to come and speak individually to each heart. Give us courage to respond in obedience to what you say, to your instruction. And as we leave this place today, may we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have met with you and that today a new journey begins in our life, one where we will trust you to feel and open our heart and let you in in a new way and in a collective way in our church as a body and a family here. Lord, we thank you and just ask that you would settle in and quiet our hearts and remove distractions that we in this moment would do business with you. In Jesus' name.